Hey Angela, how are you? I'm very well, Jeffrey. How are you down there in Melbourne? Great, although everyone in Melbourne seems to have a bit of a cold at the moment, so if I sound a bit stuffed up, that's the reason. It's all right, I think the cold's travelled to Canberra as well, so we're in the same boat. <laughs> and this is the first episode of The Source Pod for 2021. It certainly is, it's been a while, so we're very excited to be back um, recording again in 2021. So, welcome to The Source Pod, everyone. The Ligon Group are a small group of international education experts working in Australia to build and strengthen our international education sector. The SourcePod is our project to bring to you what we're seeing and hearing on the ground so that you can stay one step ahead of the game. So in this first episode for 2021, we're exploring the world of transnational education. The pandemic has really shone a spotlight on TNE, both as a strategy to provide opportunities for international students while our borders remain closed, and also the role that TNE will play in Australia's international education future. And I think we know, Angela, don't we, that so many of our clients are thinking really innovatively about transnational education right now. Some have been opening study hubs to enable students to commence offshore before coming to Australia when the borders reopen eventually. Some are surveying the new T&E opportunities emerging in ASEAN, South Asia and other regions. And some are positioning their online education offerings to attract a different segment of international students, those who want to study purely online. And we think that there's a really big opportunity for Australia to grow transnational education enrolments across every subsector and across all modes of transnational education. Compared with the United Kingdom's transnational education offerings, we look a bit underdone. The difference in scale is significant. In 2019 alone, UK universities enrolled three times the number of international students in their T&E programs than Australian universities did. And in online as t and i.e. students studying purely online, UK universities had 10 times the number of international students compared with Australia in 2019. The UK also has a massive t and footprint in the schools sector. In 2017, schools generated $2.33 billion in revenue from their t and activities, while UK universities generated $1.16 billion in revenue from T&E activities. So Australia does well. We have a, a really rich T&E history. So there is absolutely no reason in our view why Australian universities and other providers can't grow you know, transnational education enrolments and revenue fairly dramatically. And we think this is the right time to dedicate a podcast to transnational education opportunities. We're really excited to have two fantastic guests joining us on the Source Pod for this episode. We have Luke Shee. He's the Executive Director of the Australian Technology Network of Universities. Luke has extensive experience in higher education and government. He's worked at the University of Melbourne, Swinburne University of Technology, and as higher education advisor to ministers and shadow ministers for education in Canberra, and as an education innovation strategy consultant for the Asian Development Bank. We also have joining us today Rachel Holthouse. Rachel has extensive experience in Australia's international education sector with a career spanning roles, including the CEO of RMIT Training and Deputy Vice Chancellor for Global Development at RMIT. She's held senior governance roles in the education sector, not only in Australia, but also in the United Kingdom and Singapore. 
Rachel has built her career on establishing partnerships in international locations and working within complex foreign regulatory and cultural settings. And Rachel's very passionate about the transformative power of education. We're thrilled to have Luke and Rachel join us today. So as we've heard so much about in the last year, the pandemic is driving innovation in all aspects of Australia's international education sector, including transnational education. And this conversation about TNEs really picked up in recent months. Some people in the sector have been noting or predicting that COVID is really propelling transnational education firmly from the periphery into the mainstream. So we asked Luke Shi from the ATN what he was picking up or seeing in terms of COVID-led innovation. This is what he told us. But I think we also should acknowledge that in a digitally disrupted world where there's a digitisation on everything that we do, that students are going to be, you know, acquiring the skills they need at a higher education level and a vocational education level using online, using experiences. A couple of years ago, I was talking to my friends when I was working at Swinburne about Swinburne Online, which is an amazing online delivery that they have through their online education services, Proprietary Limited, in partnership with SEEK. And they described their campus, which I know UniSA and RMIT Online and others do as well, described it as a fully online campus. So we have to transform our thinking a little bit about what's the campus experience and how does that look online and how do we curate that and how do we make an experience where people feel connected And I tell you what, we've had the best dress rehearsal, which was 2020. The best dress rehearsal is everyone was online and we had to learn how to connect with each other in a different format. And of course, my heart goes out to those young people that, you know, didn't get to have their first year experience. We asked Rachel Holthouse how COVID is shifting and disrupting the delivery of international education. And she did reiterate these points that while COVID has pushed forward digital innovation, it has also led to a real awareness about the importance of campus and connectivity. And this is what she said. So what we've observed is um, some very good partnerships have been able to play a part in providing a campus in country where students could go onto the campus but engage with the Australian University degree online. So we know that, you know, the online approach has been really embraced through COVID and it's providing some solutions But there's a lot of survey work that's been done recently about how do international students feel about doing their programs online. And overwhelmingly, they are looking for some sort of campus experience. They want to feel connected to a university community. They want to be with other students as they learn. And that's particularly true of undergraduate students. So partnerships where there could be an arrangement where some of that could be delivered on the campus of a partner who's in the target country, I think offers a solution right now. So I think that kind of model at the moment can be really helpful as we try to just straddle this very strange time where we can't welcome those students to our shores. But I think moving forward into the future, there's a few things to really call out. And and one of them, I think, is 
COVID, of course, has changed everything in ways we couldn't imagine. So Rachel spoke to us about how some of the changes we're seeing now are part of a longer continuum of change that predates the pandemic. And this is something that we in the Ligon group have been talking a lot about this year too. So for example, there's a lot more competition for programs being delivered in key countries and not just by our traditional competitors. So European universities and universities across Asia are offering options to an international market. So it's a shifting landscape, but it's one with real opportunities for TNE delivery for Australia. What do you think, Geoffrey? Yeah, I think it's really interesting reflecting on how providers, Australian providers, have responded with their T&E innovations during the pandemic. And I think some of the models that have emerged are going to become uh, models that we take with us post-pandemic into the recovery phase. And we may even see the online-only segment of transnational, international education become a thing in Australia. I think I said earlier that the UK enrols 10 times the number of international students students in purely online delivery than we do in Australia, that's got to change. You know, if if the UK can have 90,000 students studying purely online in 2019 and Australia has 9,000, we can do a lot better. It's really interesting, isn't it, Geoffrey? Because if you look back at the history of T&E in Australia, it really started to emerge as a result of and in the context of the 1997 Asian financial crisis, which was another moment in global history where we were faced with a lot of people shifting what they could do in terms of travelling and studying abroad. Mm. And so that was a moment where we saw the emergence of T&E for Australia. And now maybe we're facing another another moment here where we can start to shift and push forward, particularly in that area of online that you mentioned. So mm. we asked Luke and Rachel what they think about transnational education as a viable model to really push and, and drag forward Australia's education sector into recovery. I think delivery of high quality Australian university education to many people offshore is going to be a really important part of the next new normal in Australian internationalised higher education. And we know at RMIT and Curtin, nearly 50% of the international students, they already teach or enrol offshore already with uh, campus presence in Singapore, Dubai, Mauritius, and of course, Vietnam, and other places across the world. So transnational education and using multimodal and digital frontiers is ATN core business. It speaks to innovation in delivery. It speaks to disruption. It speaks to being market leaders and understanding trends. So to a degree, what we're really speaking about is juggling this balance between online delivery and finding ways to deliver real connectivity and international campus experience within TNE programs. Luke said that Australian universities can really position themselves as leaders of innovation in that space. So that kind of thinking is, I think, really going to be important. What does a campus experience look like in a digitally disrupted world? What does the combination between multimodal look like? And thinking about transnational as well, that's going to mean we're going to see a lot more flow between students from Australia going into the region, the region coming back, and an exchange of researchers and and industry-based collaborations. So it's tremendously exciting. And if we can imagine a really exciting future and curate that and design it and put some design thinking around how it looks, I think it's going to be tremendously exciting. So 
not just a stopgap. I think this is really the next wave of reform. Luke's enthusiasm is so wonderful. He sees <laughs> absolute potential here for change and for taking advantage of a sort of reset in how we deliver international education offshore. And Rachel was really also so positive and was really calling for taking hold of this moment to gain support and recognition for Australia's international education sector more broadly. We asked her about the importance of international education outside of the revenue it generates. It's so important and I think that it sometimes gets lost in this discussion just what we gain from this interaction. You know, that there's a lot of mobility that's really important for Australian students to have the chance to go overseas to do part of their degree or study on campus. I think that mobility component is something that all universities are striving to increase and make available. I mean, what a wonderful experience to be able to have that cultural exchange go to universities overseas that have really specialised expertise in some areas and work with other students in those spaces. And certainly, you know, despite the pandemic and the obvious restrictions we're all experiencing, I don't think there's anyone who believes that we're all going to bolt our doors and retreat and, and not engage internationally. I think uh, globalisation is alive and well and will continue to be a part of the future. So how can we start thinking about this new normal coming out of COVID then? Australia's international education sector faces several years, perhaps even up to a decade, to fully recover from the impacts of COVID-19. We asked Rachel about the longer term role that transnational education models can play in driving a recovery. Again, there's a few key things to really reflect on. One of the things that COVID has done, perhaps no other event could have done, is highlight Australia's over-reliance on certain markets. So the need for more diversity is being called out constantly. And I think it's a very uh, legitimate criticism in some ways. So looking at how you get more diversity, I think brings you to looking at how you're engaging with markets outside of Australia. And historically, some of those connections that universities had tended to be fairly transactional. But I think the future really involves starting to form deeper, more collaborative relationships that enable a university to work with another university to really address the education needs of that region and looking at sectors of the market who uh, want to get the benefits of a foreign education, but perhaps can't afford to go overseas for, you know, a number of years to do that. And so there's, I think, the opportunity for universities to really sit back and start forming strategies that go for longer than five years, I would suggest. They're really long term. It takes time to build that trust and rapport with a partner. But when it's done well, I think it gives a university a chance to kind of reimagine the way it might uh, interact. And that interaction could involve some online components. It could involve some face-to-face -face components with that very tried and tested model of academics coming from Australia over to the country and, and delivering programs. But I think more interestingly, there's such a rich exchange that can be gained when academics work together and that teaching and learning is fostered and cultivated as a, as a collaborative event. 
And so that then broadens that approach where there could be a series of ways in which to deliver degrees and really focusing on what students do with the degree. I think that's the future of universities as they seek to engage in an international space that's rapidly changing. And I think COVID's really kind of brought that into sharp relief. And I would suggest that really now is the moment like never before for transnational education. Yeah, Angela, I thought what Luke and Rachel both had to say was really interesting about transnational education and the future of international education in this country. And in many ways, uh, because of the pandemic, because of the disruption to the sector, transnational education is just going to have to do more of the heavy lifting to get the sector back to where it was pre-pandemic, if you like. And so I think that the time for transnational education is absolutely here. And if we keep on innovating in the way that the sector does so well, we're well set up for transnational ed success in the future. So one of the best parts about what we do at the Largan Group is that we get to walk with our clients as they consider uh, transnational education opportunities. And we all know that transnational education requires truly complex choreography. Of course, there are partnerships to build and sustain. There are government policies to navigate, both here in Australia and in the, uh, in the country in which the program is being delivered. And of course, there's the not insignificant challenge of aligning institutional priorities across academic and non-academic portfolios. We asked Luke if he thinks that transnational education gets enough attention or recognition from uh, governments, state and federal in Australia. Uh, we asked him, you know, is, really, is Australia's t and &E footprint a hidden opportunity or a hidden gem? And this is what he told us. Well, I think we've been a little anemic on the conversation around transnational education and Australia's capacity to export our education, high quality education know-how across the world and particularly in our region. I know Minister Alan Tudge, the Federal Minister for Education and Youth, when he was in opposition back in 2013, he undertook a major report on online education and he was asked to by the then Leader of the Opposition, Tony Abbott, and the Shadow Minister for Trade, Andrew Robb. And they were setting a pretty lofty ambition at that time that Australia could be teaching up to 10 million students through online and through transnational education. Now, I was very excited by that ambition, a very lofty ambition given the size of Australia and, of course, would require a lot of international collaboration, transnational hubs, lots of, you know, thought around how the actual logistics of, of that aspiration might be fulfilled. But I think it's a really exciting thing and I, I know that the Minister's been interested in this topic and I think he'll be starting to, to outline some of the federal government's thinking in that space I'm really confident that given the amazing universities and I think of Deakin, RMIT and, of course, all of my network uh, and Curtin, of course, with their transnational and offshore presences, they're going to lead that and they're going to continue to lead that and looking at how we use technology combined with offshore hubs and that kind of interconnectedness, particularly across ASEAN. I think there's an incredible opportunity in a continually growing ASEAN where we see the emergence of the next middle class of the planet coming from ASEAN. And the last time I checked on economic measures, a significant about, amount of the world's growth coming from that region. So the opportunity of both geographically and with this pause that we're experiencing now with COVID and the pandemic to reflect on what comes next is really exciting. 
we will get through it. We'll get the vaccines rolled out. 2021 is going to be another difficult year. Let's not kind of mince words. But I'm really confident that there's going to be a really great conversation between the both levels of government in Australia and a big shout-out particularly to the state governments who've been leading some of these really great conversations. And I think about the New South Wales government in particular in this space and I know the Victorian government in South Australia and others are doing a really terrific job in this space. But it's a really exciting time for us to dream large and think about how we can expand Australian education offshore in the long term. You know, I think it's really encouraging again to hear Luke's optimism and excitement. Luke also told us about the value of universities working collaboratively as a network. And of course, in his case, he's the executive director of the ATN, the Australian Technology Network of Universities. This is what he told us. Well, I think part of our role as, you know, as networks of universities is to look at where we're stronger as a collective. And that, of course, you know, in the traditional sense of lobbying, working with government to get shared objectives and shared outcomes that benefit everyone is a good thing. And um, it makes it efficient for government and it makes it efficient for universities to have work in the collective. I think in the international space, it's somewhat more challenging. And um, when I came to ATN, we looked at developing a new strategy and we worked with the Ligon Group actually to, to help create that. What is the thinking around a network of universities working collectively internationally. And one of the most important aspects to that is working with other networks of universities, of course. But coming to your point about new markets, new opportunities and how to leverage that, I think that's kind of, again, like I've talked about earlier, I think it's the next wave of what we do as, as a collective is exploring these opportunities together And not getting bogged down in kind of market competition and, you know, like trying to compete for one another's students, but actually looking collectively at how we can leverage those opportunities. And it's got to be in partnership. If you're delivering offshore education on a site in a foreign country, it's a partnership approach, right? You're working with the local governments and or local entrepreneurs. You're working with local communities. It's a collaborative approach. So if we can leverage and harness that collaborative approach collectively in exploring how we can scale up, and, you know, I've got this phrase, which is a good idea should be replicable and scalable. You know, I think Luke's message about the value of a collaborative, collective approach is really interesting. It's not easy to get a bunch of universities who themselves are competitors around a table to agree on taking a shared approach to pursuing T&E opportunities. But I think universities recognise the power of cooperating in order to assist them in achieving their own international education goals. What do you think, Angela? Yeah, for sure. And that's something that we've come up speaking about throughout the source pod since we began when we started talking about pilots and bringing students back into Australia during the pandemic. And again and again, we come across this theme that this is a time really for taking new approaches to collaboration and collective action as a sector and even as as a nation towards international education. And maybe transnational education is another field where new forms of collaboration could come into play. Yeah, it reminds me of that word, co-opetition. Um, you can, you can <laughs> yes. cooperate while competing. <laughs> 
Rachel shared her insights about how to achieve university buy-in for a transnational education strategy. I mean, after all, academic units, the international portfolio, everyone from legal on risk to finance and even HR need to be coordinated in order to ensure a successful transnational partnership. And that, of course, happens across both partner organisations. So as I said earlier, it's truly complex choreography. And this is what Rachel suggested would be an interesting way to think about achieving university buy-in? So I think it is a shift in thinking and really taking something that's probably been an adjunct to core activity and suggesting that it become core activity, which is an attitudinal change that's needed. I think one of the ways to look at how to address that is to look at really successful projects that have changed in universities. And one of the ones I often reflect on is you know, certainly when I went to uni, there was no acknowledgement of country in Australia, was there? That that dialogue just didn't happen. That's right. There was no sense of uh, respecting our Indigenous connection, that that was not profiled. And yet you look at universities now and they are often leading the voice and the respect that should be given to uh, that part of Australia's history and culture. So how did that shift? And I think it was very clear, wasn't it, that there was a clear vision given by vice-chancellors, given by government. There was a very clear statement about the value and importance of this for us as Australians and as our university campuses. And then what followed that is very practical rollouts of really sharing why it was important and how we embrace it. And that became embedded in everything, in all the colleges, in all the schools, faculties. It became embedded in moments where people came together. It became expected and the conversation started. And I think that's a great example of how you shift the sort of thinking around transnational education by really having a very clear vision, explaining why, and entering into conversations and debate around the challenges, being very open about those challenges, because of course there are challenges and there are risks, but really looking at what the objective is in doing it and then what the objections are to not doing it and and striking that balance. And I think those debates are important, but what's got to be behind it is a real belief of the importance of it, the end result and the need for a university to do it. And that does come down to vision and leadership and it comes down to finding champions who work with you and then having some really good examples where it works well. It comes out really clearly in what Rachel has said and in our experience as well that the role of the Vice-Chancellor in setting a really clear strategy and then creating the environment in which the whole institution swings in behind it is absolutely critical, not just to transnational education success, but the success of any international education program. She also highlighted the importance of uh, getting the right balance of talent and skills uh, to really make transnational education hum. She argues that business acumen is absolutely critical to ensure that a T&E operation generates the return a university expects. So I think another challenge is that issue of making those transnational education partnerships viable and profitable. And, you know, sometimes there hasn't been a lot of that commercial acumen around setting them up or understanding 
uh, the both parties really need to win. It has to be a negotiation that's successful for both uh, members of the partnership. So I think that's often resulted in some things that didn't go well. And when that happens, then uh, those who observe it are reluctant to try it again. But sometimes I think it's it's bringing that right talent around to really set it up and then be able to monitor it and have mechanisms in place that make sure that the university reputation is being protected, that the teaching and learning is meeting the standards and requirements and, you know, really having that rigour around the way that they're managed. So some of the reluctance that you often see in universities has been because there's examples where it didn't go well. But I think when you analyse them, often these pieces have been missing or they've been very shallow uh, or they've perhaps just been new to it and so they haven't got the experience under their belt. So really setting up for success, I think, is one of the ways to, to move them forward and get more comfortability with, you know, why we're doing it and how we're winning out of it. Uh, not just from that point of view of reaching students and providing education solutions, but also commercially does it make sense for us? And I think this is a piece that has to be addressed. Yeah, so it can be really tough, can't it, Angela, to ensure that in addition to a transnational education program delivering an outstanding education experience, a partnership is profitable, however that's defined, whether it's in real financial terms or perhaps in student flows on shore, it's just a really complicated area. Yeah, it, it is a really complex area, Jeffrey, and it's something where, you know, we're all dealing with multiple moving parts. But when we're talking about how to build and sustain something that is working across borders within a pandemic, we're certainly dealing with a complex area, but one that has real potential. And, and it's a really exciting, a really exciting field as our, our guests have highlighted for us today. Well, Angelo, that brings us to the end of our first episode for 2021. This year, we're releasing an episode of The Source Pod every other month. In May, we're talking to Melissa Banks, the head of Austrade Centre of Excellence for International Education. She'll share her insights into the opportunities and challenges ahead for Australia's international education sector and Austrade's role in seeing us through to the other side of the pandemic. You can follow the Ligon Group on LinkedIn and Twitter, and you can visit us at theligongroup.com and subscribe to our newsletter. Subscribe to The Source Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for the Ligon Group. See you, Angela. See you next time, Jeffrey. Thanks for listening. Ahead of the game. <laughs>